Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, quick linkers. Uh, today I have joining me on the pod uh, a voice that you will know very well, uh, Matt Rendell uh, from ITV Cycling fame. Uh, I just thought it would be a nice opportunity to chat to Matt about how he got involved in cycling, how he became the voice of cycling during our summer, and obviously about his books, which obviously he has many. Uh, hello there, Matt. Hello, hello, hello. We could have, I could have. I could have done some voice, couldn't I? And then we could have seen who, who did, uh, who did recognise me. I was in. Um, where was I? I was in. I can see where I was. Leamington Spa the other night, and uh, I went into a Carluccio's and had a place of pasta. It was virtually empty, and the waiter came over and took my order. And when I said, "I'd like a, a plate of linguine, please," um, and something else, I can't remember what, a, a woman came over from the other side of the. <laughs> of the uh, restaurant and said you're Matt and I said yes I am and um and she said I know you I I I know your voice I know that voice but um, normally what people say is I thought you were older but there we are that's she thankfully she didn't thankfully she avoided that well, I mean that's that's almost a backhanded compliment in a way isn't it I thought you were older <laughs> but I'm pleased to see that you're younger <laughs> <laughs> getting older much very rapidly and wilting in this heat so, I mean, obviously, uh, we we met recently because you came and did a show in in my hometown of Sheffield, um, and you know, obviously, you've been you've just been away three weeks on the Tour de France, um, and then the thing you immediately did afterwards is you went round Britain doing a UK tour, yeah, uh, talking about the Tour de France and cycling. Well, I figure that um, I figure that having been roughly speaking on the just about on the telly because I am a bit. I'm sort of, I work on production. I work in production. I'm not primarily someone that's in front of a camera or behind a microphone, but um, I, I'm i sort of television polyfiller. Whatever needs filling, I, I fill. And that includes operating a camera from time to time, um, sort of self-shooting things, uh, but also, you know, sort of translating, run around the running around the technical compound, looking for what other people have got and working up stories for other people and all that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, but I, 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 I get my, I get, I get a few moments in the, um, in the, uh, in the limelight. And, uh, and I figure that for about 10 days to two weeks after the Tour de France, cycling Britain has the vaguest idea who j just vaguely know who I might be. So if I'm going to go out and talk and sell books and, and and um uh, sell my wares um then i've got a tiny window in which to do so and thankfully this was a tour this year that um that ended what the 20 24th was it of july fairly early so um you can you know once once you get into the second week of august people are on holiday and you can't work up a crowd so we just about had 10 days two weeks to uh to get around and and go around the country and 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 it was fantastic it was fantastically good especially i must say the lantern theater in sheffield which was a real discovery yeah yeah lovely little theater um yeah if anybody is listening from sheffield you know have a have a look at what they've got on it's a lovely little theater just nestled in never edge which you know i didn't know about it until i came to matt's show recently um so matt i mean many of our listeners will probably be familiar with um the 
the uh, other members of your ITV production crew, mm. you know, Ned and David and, and Peter. And obviously they did a very popular podcast during the tour, the Never Strays mm. Far podcast. Um, and on that, they talked a, a little bit about how, you know, they had the sort of finish line team and they and the start line team sort of hmm. whereabouts did you fit into into that sort of team aspect with I'm very much finish line team I'm I'm sort of in the production uh office uh although um we had for several years um after the the Tour de France and the other big races started um showing stages from start to finish it kind of created a problem because it's a long, long time in the saddle. And, um, you know, as you can imagine, the uh, daytime viewing figures are what they are, daytime TV viewing figures. And then, but the real numbers are in the highlights show in the evening. So we spend, you know, all day, four, five, six hours um, broadcasting live, um, uh, which, you know, can, can be vaguely stressful and you have to stay concentrated and it's 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 quite shattering really and then when the when the stage finishes and the uh, presentations take place and the final interviews um uh, are recorded we then have to do our real job which is uh make the evening highlights show so it's 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 quite an all-day uh kind of job and and it's every day i mean you know whoever invented um you know, two days off every seven was onto something because um, I, I, speaking purely for myself, um, after I've done three and a half weeks at the tour, and and there really isn't a day off because rest days aren't aren't rest days. Uh, we 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 put out um, a highlight show on the rest days, and in many ways, rest days are harder work than the other days because you get into a rhythm. Um, um, and by the time I've done that, I get home and I can, you know, I can barely, I've sort of forgotten my own mobile number and, you know, my middle name and my address and my postcode and that sort of stuff. So it's, um, it's, 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 it's a passion and you do it because you absolutely love it and you'd be bereft in July if you didn't have it. But um, uh, to tell the truth, Tom, I, I, I wonder how the technical staff who don't, have uh you know a, a sort of deep-seated love of the sport i wonder how they even do it because it's um it's you know it's a tough old it's a tough old month really yeah certainly i mean it's it certainly you know especially as how um in media in general and especially sort of cycling media has evolved over the past few years you know the the lockdown years i think sort of really push this side of i suppose that the cycling media there definitely is seems to be a lot more of a an a, a, an access to that behind the scenes aspect of how the production works and how you know the the teams are working day to day and you know i think there's a a bit of a, a first for knowledge there amongst cycling fans of, of of how that works as well and it you know it certainly seems that you know everybody who is involved and the people we do hear from are, are, are very very passionate about it um you know and and you know like you said i don't think you could do something for three and a half weeks on the road like that without without being very passionate about it yeah it's 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 tough work and of course you know and and then once you're in the in the teams the um the mechanics, the soigneurs, they were they worked long hours 
you know and uh, you you've it's 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 a real commitment and there is a you know i i think it's a genuine uh question for cycling how much access you can expect the riders and, and the teams to give because you know i i i worked uh, with movie star i worked with trek segafredo and you see riders especially riders from um distant climbs like uh, the Colombians, the Australians and so on, who will, um, you know, spend uh, their day training or racing and then maybe, you know, spend 40, 50 minutes um, on, 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 on Zoom, on Skype with their families at home uh, and then have a massage. And, and you're, you've already spoken about and then do the travel that they need to do. And that's 10 hours in a day. And um, although, as you say, there is a kind of thirst to uh, to see behind the scenes, um, you know, maybe to get get cameras on the buses, get cameras in the cars, get cameras, you know, um, you need some some downtime as well. And um, I mean, you know, Netflix really fell on their feet, didn't they, with this Tour de France having the uh, um, having their, their, their this huge production to uh to, to give you know all all um uh, sort of saturation viewing of the tour de france and, and what a great race it was and what what looked like it might have been a bit of a um a a route by uh Tadej Pogacar turned out to be one of the great one of the great tours de france in history i think um but even so you know they've fallen on their feet, but um, it's it's a tricky one. I I I I don't know if you can really give more coverage than um, is already available. And of course, with the teams putting out their own videos and so many kind of um, online productions looking for content, it's um, it's I I think there's a real challenge there, uh, and and there's. I think a lot of creativity is uh, going to have to go into how to uh, how how to provide access and and create you know interesting content because I mean even even showing stages from start to finish isn't an unbridled success you know I mean <laughs> you know that that there are and I think that it probably is responsible for what. Uh, we, we've had this year and, and and what we've seen over the past two or three years, which is very, very few dead moments in the stages. Um, but nonetheless, there are, you know, in the end, um, you know, even Wout van Aert doesn't have infinite energy. And there are kind of these these boring passages in stages. And, uh, um, and, and I think for that reason, you know, uh, uh, um, the Tour de France has kind of rolled back a little bit and with terrestrial producers well they they, they offer as they offered um itv this year a, a, a number i'm not quite sure i can't quite remember what the number was maybe 12 stages from start to finish and then you know the other stages um coming in with two hours to go so um you know that that seemed a little bit more rational you know and and and, and then you know yeah pay more and you can have all the stages from start to finish but um you know in hindsight you can say well that was the stage we really wanted to see from start to finish but a lot of the time you know especially on the sprint stages there isn't a great deal to see unless we have an arts racing <laughs>
Yeah, that I mean that poses a sort of an interesting question as well, especially obviously with you being more involved in that production side as well. Mm. You know, obviously you know, with you know services like you know GCM Plus and the establishment of these subscription services, which you know, mm. you know, I'm, I'm sure you would agree that definitely in the past you know year or so, GCN Plus you know has gone for strength to strength. They've really upped their production. They've really sort of added to their team. You know, how does you know, a, a team like yourself at ITV Cycling adapt to that? Because you know, certainly as a terrestrial channel, you're never mm. going to have the coverage that GCM Plus has because you know ITV aren't going to commit that to their budget. So how do you how do you pitch your production so that when the tour comes, people go, actually, I'm going to go back to ITV rather than stay with GCM Plus? Or how do you draw in a different kind of viewer? That might view on GCM Plus compared to you know maybe a more casual viewer who who doesn't subscribe to GCM Plus or only well, watches I think the that, tour. Yeah, I, I think that um, there are two different publics, and um, anything that is behind a pay wall um, has a, a, a more specialist uh, kind of public who you know. Uh, with different expectations, um, looking, you know, may maybe um, you can make greater um, assumptions about the knowledge that um, your viewers have. Um, I think, I mean, the, the, the first thing to say is that um, if the, well, the Tour de France, for instance, in France is one of the crown jewels of French sport and um has to be uh, by contract and by law has to be free to free to air and um by showing it free to air in the uk um i think that that's uh, an essential service uh, cycling uh, over the past 20 years i think has grown precisely because there's been if you if you i mean if you go back to the late 80s uh, when when our well, I suppose our ex-executive producer, Brian Venner, started producing cycling. Brian was the um, the director of Grandstand in the 1970s and the creator of um, of Superstars, if you remember that, with Kevin Keegan and Brian Jack and and, and all the Brian Jacks, Jack, uh, the judo guy and, um, and so on. And um, when he started producing cycling in the 1980s um, for Channel 4, um, I mean, there really was very little that was available um, in the UK. And um, I mean, Channel 4's sport offering um, included their sort of portfolio of, of sports in the early days was um, sumo wrestling, some kind of um, Asian, um, Indian, I think, um, martial arts. Um, what was that? The American football, of course, Gary Imlach. Um, and the Tour de France. And that was the kind of niche um, into which uh, the Tour slotted in those days. And I think that um, over, um, you know, the past 40 years, um, an audience has been an audience has been created. And I think that um, with our we, we, we had a, a director producer, uh, Steve Doherty, who um, who died sadly last year. Um, before the tour, during the uh, Giro d'Italia, but he was um, in 1989. Um, you remember when uh, Greg LeMond was uh, um, 
sort of framed up um, and his face kind of broke into this huge toothy grin, screaming with happiness um, as he realised, you know, Fignon hadn't yet finished, but he realised he'd won the Tour de France. And uh, Steve was standing next to him, sort of uh, over his right shoulder. And um, Steve was kind of, uh, well, he was uh, uh, a, a ranting, screaming, disciplinarian egotist but he was also a kind of televisual genius and a, a brilliant a brilliant journalist and uh, between him and Gary Imlach um, I think they created a sort of quirky and intelligent and attractive way of um, of, of of seeing cycling and of channeling it to a public um, that maybe wasn't necessarily all that convinced to start off with, and and, and probably that was um, precisely the sort of GCN type audience, yeah. And so, um, and so, yeah. I mean, we we're journalists. We look for stories. We um, we, we 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 try and. Um, uh, look with a, 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 a both a schooled and a kind of naive eye at what might be there, what might be of interest, and you know use your journalist in, in, journalistic intelligence to um, hopefully to make a good show, to contribute in an interesting way um, to the show. I think that there's there's still a, a long way to go um, in in. In covering the sport in a way that the, the the general viewer, a viewer who is, you know, who's watching free free to air and um, is interested in the landscapes, is interested in the look of it, and perhaps a, a, a little is a little less interested in the um, metabolomic analysis or in VAM or in, you know, what's per kilo. Um, I think there's still a, 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 a huge amount of scope and a long way uh, to go. I think in, you know, in, in simply in, you know, I, I, I dedicate days and days and days before the tour, looking at every town and village that uh, the tour goes through. Um, and you, you, you have to do it pretty quick. You know, you have to cover a lot of ground very quickly and you obviously miss a huge amount of things. But I try and find uh stories wherever wherever there's there are stories and then you know I, i'll give you an example the um stage 11 the great stakes to uh, the col du Cranon, um the attacking started what 100 yards less than that um 50 yards before the top of the col du telegraph and i'd uh, already um recorded a um just a little report on the tol du, col du telegraph and how it got its name and its name comes from the um, the fort uh, that is, it's about 900 metres away from the coal. And it overlooks, there's virtually a, a kilometre and a half vertical um, descent to the valley. And in the at the very start of the 19th century, um, one of these uh, sort of semaphore towers that in French they called the, the telegraph, was uh, built there because it had line of sight for tens of kilometers in each direction up and down the valley so it was one of a long long series 
of of huge semaphore um, uh, 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 towers um, that we used to transmit government messages across the landscape from one corner to the other of France. So where, you know, by, by horse, it would take two weeks to send a message. They could do it in three or four hours using semaphore. Um, and, and so that was, you know, that, 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 that was my kind of morning's work on the telegraph. Um, and then, of course, when the attacking started, that piece never went out because we're into the racing there at that point. So you have, you know, that's also part of it. Also part of making a good show is knowing, and of course, that's not my decision. That's the director's decision. But one of the, you know, part of making a good show is being able to say, right, I know we've done this and a lot of work has gone into this. And, you know, it's been a lot of kilometers and uh, and then, you know, time scripting and filming and editing and outputting and uh, it's all online and ready to go but we're dropping it and so <laughs> you know those are decisions that have to be made that have to be made um as well yeah but i think that you know uh, so as i say going back to the initial point um in france the tour de france has to be free to air you know that's a legal requirement and certainly if it wasn't there is no way that it would have the um the Champs Elysees stage finish. There is no way that the uh, that uh, that Paris would hand itself over to the Tour de France if it wasn't on uh, free to air. And of course, it's not. You know, it's a French event. It's not a British event. Um, but I think that um, the moment um, cycling goes completely behind a paywall, um, it risks suffering uh, what um, other sports that have done the same have done. I mean, we talk about heavyweight boxing for instance but no one's ever seen it you know and we 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 even i mean we talk about the giro d'italia yeah but how many people have ever seen the giro d'italia in the uk you know only people who are digging in their pockets and going behind a paywall yeah i'm just going to turn the light on because it's something got very dark in here in the course of yeah. in the course of one of my sentences the room got very dark I wonder why that could be. Um, so, well, we you know, we talked a little bit about passion there. And obviously mm. you tapped into, um, you know, obviously a lot of different reasons why people may may watch the, mm. the tour and may watch obviously mm. cycling in general. I suppose so that that leads me nicely into sort of the, the question of how you first got your passion for cycling. Mm. Yeah, where mm. did that come from? Mm. I come from a, I come from a, uh, a, a sporting family and my grandfather uh, was um, the training partner of Jack Lovelock. Jack Lovelock won the gold medal at the, in the 1500 metres at the uh, 1936 uh, Tour, de France, uh, Tour de France, Olympic Games mm -hmm. and uh, Tour de France on the brain. And um, um, I, I, I grew up wanting to emulate my grandfather, who was a very good runner. Um, and uh, middle distance running was my thing. And uh, as it was a, a, a lot of people's passion, because those were the days of um, first Brendan Foster and then Steve Ovet, uh, Sebastian Coe, Steve Cram, and so on and so forth. So um, I, I, I didn't even really know, like a lot of British people, know uh, that cycling existed beyond my jealousy of the people I went to school with who, who could afford what we called a five speed racer in those days and um this is in the this is in the 
in the late 70s. And it was exactly the kids that went on skiing holidays who could afford five speed races. And I was dead jealous. I never had a I had a, a bike when I was at primary school and used to cycle to school and then didn't have a bike all the way through my teenage years um, until I got my first. Uh, but but, you know, scarcity makes you dream. And I think that, you know, when I when I talk to professional cyclists, um, they very often say the same as jazz musicians say when when you know when when you ask when you hear the great saxophonists and trumpet players asked you know what was it that attracted you about the instrument and they say yeah well i i, I saw a band a marching band or i saw a a shop front and there was this glistening glittering instrument and i think that um we underestimate it sounds childish but we underestimate the the charm and the magic that that certain of these kind of quite simple mechanical objects you know in 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 pressed or cut metal you know that they 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 catch um, children's imaginations and and you know um cyclists you know very often say yeah well when i was a kid you know i saw this i i, I wanted to know how it was, I guess, see the, the, the kids on bikes. And I wanted to know how was it that they didn't just fall over, you know? And, and, and so there's that kind of magic that, that children are sensitive to. And I lived with it. Uh, and, and I suppose it grew, the, the, the magic grew stronger with um, um, the, the, the longer that it, that I didn't have access to this wonderful object. So when I finally, years later in my late twenties, um, got my first job after, after my studies and, and various, various random careers, um, I got my first paycheck, uh, from the university of Westminster where I was teaching te technical and specialized translation. I spent it on a bike and, um, and two days after I bought the bike, I, I rode back to my, parents um on the Essex coast which was 111 miles and um and was absolutely shattered but sort of totally enchanted and um yeah it's 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 at bicycles um like I don't know what like mechanical watches like other mechanical things that you can sort of see and they work and they seem to have a sort of uh, a, a soul or a, or a life force um and it kind of doesn't make sense so there's a sort of mental complexity to 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 deciphering what's going on there and i think that 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 captures that entrances kids and um, and 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 it did me it did me and you know obviously I mean, as that passion grew, you know, did is that when you sort of came across you know, bike racing itself, or was it something you were introduced with to from a friend that you met through cycling? How did you start find the pro scene, and mm. then how did you, mm. you know, develop that essentially into your job? Yeah, I I didn't I don't think I ever connected really cycling to professional cycling. 
Um, I didn't really know what professional cycling was. And then in um, I, uh, I, I studied in Italy. And in 1991, uh, I, I was a musician. I, I, I'd given up playing music by then, but I met some people in in Trieste in Italy where I studied and, and they were looking for a bass player. And I said, oh, I'm a bass player. I was a bass player. And I started uh, playing in this band. And uh, the keyboard player, Franco, he was just, um, he, he wasn't cycling crazy. He was Giro d'Italia crazy. Okay. And um, I don't even know if he, even today, if he really follows the Tour de France at all, but he's absolutely fanatical about the Giro d'Italia. And he was, uh, his family owned a shop. And so he would um, set the, the VHS to record. And then um, no one was allowed to talk to him about cycling all day. And then he'd come home and I was this particular May 1991. Um, I was uh, staying with him for a few days and sat on the sofa uh, and um, watched the stage as live in the evening. And then, you know, and I'd, I'd, I kind of did a master's in cycling with him, you know, I'd ask all the daft questions. And, and he'd say, you know, I'd say, well, why doesn't why doesn't he ride across to him and go with him? And then, you know, and he'd say, well, you know, because there's wind resistance and because you know they're tired as well and there's a long way to go and they might get caught on the next climb or whatever it was and 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 in fact and explained everything that there was to be explained in those days and the funny thing is that you fast forward 30 years to the 2022 Tour de France and you look at Wout van Aert and all the questions would be the same ones but the answers would be completely different because suddenly that it's a it's a completely different sport you know but um but yeah that was how i and 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 a note that um i was in italy studying um italian language and history and 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 letters and i understood cycling not as a sport um at least not um not primarily as a sport i understood the giro d'italia uh, as I approached it as an expression of Italian culture, yeah. And um, when I see the Tour de France, it's something completely different. And when I see the the Vuelta, the the, the Vuelta has a bit of an identity crisis. But um, all of these races, the Tour of the Basque Country, the Tour of Catalonia, the Tour of Colombia, you know, they 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 are all the same sport, and they have roughly speaking the same rules. And um, but um, they're expressions of very, very different realities. And cycling is different from other sports because it's territorial. It covers areas. It goes to people's homes. It goes to villages and they imprint themselves on it. And and by the same token, if you take the Tour de France, for instance, or the Giro d'Italia and you look at the peloton, you've got, you know, a hundred and. 76 riders or whatever it is um all apparently doing the same thing which is pedaling with their feet and holding the bars with their hands and trying to win a bike race okay but um if you really look into their heads and talk to them about what what's going on here how did you get here and what does this mean to you and 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 um 
what do you think about when you think about cycling? You know, um, th they're all coming from very different places. And, and so each of these 176 riders are all doing very, very different things, you know. And so it's um, I think it's kind of endlessly, endlessly fascinating. Thank God, because I've been droning on about it for 25 years and 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 i can feel no sign of running out of things to say you know because it just keeps getting well i mean on 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 the on the evidence of this tour de france that we've just seen it just keeps getting better and better yeah and you i mean you talk a lot about you talk a lot about the the story talk a lot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you talked a lot about obviously the stories there and mm. i think that's something which you know, a lot of the a lot of people identify with mm. is that there mm. there is a different story by each rider almost every day. Mm. Um, you know, and that's something which you know, going back to what we said is something um people are, are hopefully you know excited about and with the Netflix coverage is tapping into more of those sort of unseen stories. And you know, that I suppose links nicely in with obviously you're know, a big aspect of your journalistic work, which is obviously your books. Mm. You know, from mm. there is the is the telling of those stories. You know, so I mean, where had have you always had um, a, a passion for writing, or you know, have you have you always been a writer, or is that something that's come you know with your passion for cycling, the stories that you felt need to do to be told you know it's something which you've you've linked in with your your your, your passion i think that i i think that a lot of people who are in in telly or who are in publishing um i think that, that there might be a common feature to, to all of us I, I suppose and that is that when you i i to tell the truth i used to look at what gary did um i think gary Imlax a genius and um he uh in fact I, I had an example of it on on stage 19 which started um in which ended in Cahors, about 20 kilometers away from the Chateau de Caiques which belongs to the Danish uh, the Queen of Denmark and um we uh we decided okay let's get up bright and early and head out there and 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 see what we can do. Obviously, you had a, a Dane who was about to win the tour, and it had been a very Danish tour with Magnus Court and um, and um, uh, the the Grand Depart in yeah in, in yeah Denmark and the Grand well, Depart yeah. and and um, and the former world champion. What's his name? Um, uh, Sorensen. No, <laughs> this is oh, what yeah. happens when you do when you. When you work for, as I say, by the end of it, you can't even remember yeah. your own your own name. But um, yeah, and um, um, so anyway, we thought we'd head out there and uh, unleashed John Tinetti, our fabulous fabulous cameraman. He went round, got some angles, uh, dragged us round to, uh, to to the the place where we get the the best shots. And um, Gary sat down, and in I mean three and a half minutes just came up with this wonderful enchanting little script um ending uh, i i i went round and and gleaned all the information i could from the um uh one of the 
sort of chef de presse of the Danish royal family. And he sort of said, yes, you know, the prince is going to be handing the uh, yellow jersey to, um, uh, to, to, to to the race leader this afternoon on the podium. So, okay, so so that's good. So when it came to it after, the, I, I picked up a couple of bottles of wine, which is just a personal tradition I got into. I, I, I tend to, at the, at the end of a, at the end of a race, um, just buy a couple of bottles of champagne and give them to people who've been particularly helpful because, you know, that it's that, that people could be very unhelpful in their post-stage interviews, but they tend to be very helpful. And the people that you're going back to, it's it's nice to be able to say thank you to people. Um, and uh, so I picked up a couple of, a couple of uh, bottles of wine and um, and um, Gary ended his little piece to camera. You know, I'm sure it's um, I'm sure it's below the uh, Danish royal family to um, use a photo opportunity to uh, publicize their wares. Um, but I wonder if he'll give, um, you know, the yellow jersey, a bottle of uh, cuvée, uh, a magnum of cuvée majesté after the stage. And if he doesn't, I wonder if we will. And so after the stage, I handed over these bottles and um, and actually got uh Got reimbursed for one of them, which was, yeah, which was quite nice. And um, and 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 suddenly you've got the structure to a show, and um, Gary has this absolute magic. And 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 I think that um, certainly in my case, but I think in the case of a lot of us in the media, you see something that you think is beautifully done, and um, and you take it as a kind of invitation. It's a game. And you invite you you feel invited to play it yourself, you know. And so I always, you know, I I I've always down the years looked at Gary's work and thought, yeah, I'd like to, you know, what 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 fun that seems. And also reading, um, you read, what, what was his name? There's a guy called Whiting. Was that his name? Who wrote a book about? The way the Japanese, uh, a book called You Gotta Have Wa, Robert Whiting, I think his name was, who wrote a book called um, You Gotta Have Wa. And it's about how the Japanese kind of imported uh, baseball from America and they Japanese did. They totally, they took this sport and the rules are the same and it's the same sport and the clothes are the same and everything is the same except it's become deeply, deeply Japanese, you know? Uh, I read that years ago, um, George Plimpton, um, Nick Hornby, um, Norman Mailer, and so on. And you read these people and think, this is just fantastic. This is, this is just enthralling. Um, I want to do this. And um, somehow or other, I don't quite know how, but somehow or other, I... I well, I you see, I went to Colombia, and I I thought I was, I went with a kind of zombie passion for flesh, but it wasn't for flesh; it was for information about cycling. And I used to buy every book that I could buy in the secondhand book markets, and 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 every old magazine that had articles about cycling in it, um, and and I thought vaguely that I was doing this to produce a, a documentary a television documentary about the history of Colombian cycling. This is in 1997, 1998, 1999. And instead it turned into a book. And um, the book 
got a kind of, you know, good critical success, although, you know, it's it's it didn't really make any money and it made enough for the publisher to justify writing another one. So, you know, but then, and I've always believed in writing things that, books that ought to exist, you know, and that's not a terribly commercial way of looking at things. I, I don't look at them and say, right, how can I make money from this? Because if that was my attitude, I'd have invented a bunch of lies and come up with the theory that Pantani had been murdered because that's that's the book that would sell, but it just happens not to be true. So, you know, uh, 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 that's not a book I could write. And, you know, so so you try and you try and make the reports and write the books and do the things that ought to be done and that ought to exist because the universe would be incomplete without them. That's my that's my kind of cod philosophy. And obviously, you mentioned your your, your first book there, mm. about, Kings um, of the Mountains. Yeah, yeah, and and you mentioned your yeah the first book there about sort of Columbo, which you wrote obviously in ninety seven ninety eight, mm. um, mm. and then obviously your your most recent book, obviously again sort of exploring sort of I suppose that the next twenty odd years of sort of yeah that almost a kind well. of yeah almost a kind of follow up in in a sense although it's a diff you know I'm different and the world's different and the filters through which you look are very different because Colombia's passion um is b b because we're all we're all interested in identity now in personal identity mm. which 20 years ago wasn't what you you necessarily focused on and 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 so and you can't help um thinking because it's what the world thinks about issues of identity and that means that's meant for Colombia's passion um really looking at quite a lot of, of the role of Colombia's indigenous past in the present because a lot of the cyclists have especially Nairo and Daya Quintana and uh, Darwin Atapuma winner Anaconda um and and from Ecuador Richard Carapaz they they're very very bullish and um um assertive in 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 um displaying uh their indigenous identities you know and in Richard Carapaz's case also his afro descendant identity you know it's it's very important to him it's it's very much at the forefront of the forefront of of who they are so yeah so it's 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 a very different kind of book from um from kings of the mountains but yeah in in a sense it's sort of it's kind of a sequel it's kind of a sequel yeah and, and uh, you you mentioned there obviously about sort of how the 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 difference in their identity uh, as a cyclist as mm. uh, as a, as their as a national identity mm. yeah the one thing i picked up obviously from the books and obviously from yourself was that you know the that's their relationship with cycling and and sport in general and i suppose this is maybe echoed a little bit uh, and in sort of what we're seeing in some of the evolving African nations in mm -hmm. their sort of cycling mm -hmm. journey now mm -hmm. is that the sort of their journey is very different from you know the, our established Western European yeah. cyclist journey and, and what it means to them 
and what it can offer them if they become professional cyclists is very very different from you know the 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 young british you know belgian you know spanish italian riders we see yeah there's no yeah there's no there's no in these countries there's no conveyor belt you know there's a there's no um olympic academy that is going to take them from i mean nor is there in colombia that that's going to take them from being a sort of promising 15 year old to uh to a 22 year old neo pro you know there isn't a conveyor belt there there isn't the expertise or the budget um there isn't the convenience of of short haul foreign travel that will allow you to not just compete with your counterparts from other cycling nations but but also get used to the idea of that that cycling is primarily international i mean before any colombian or 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 any african gets to europe um they're competing in their own national cycling on the whole because that's all budgets and logistics and and anything else will allow uh whereas for a, a young western european cyclist it's international from the start and they're very used to it and and you know and they're used to staying in hotels and eating foreign food and you know and all and, and kind of being places where foreign languages are being spoken all around them and they either learn them or they get used to just getting on without them and there's nothing strange about it so there are all these sorts of things that um that you have to get used to and it's 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 harder getting used to things when you're in your mid-20s than it is when you're in your mid-teens but but, you know tom at the same time there's um i i strongly feel i mean i i I, on outdoors i was um very very happy to see um an old friend who's the rwandan uh rider uh um, adrian neon shuti who um who i've known since um 2007 or 8 um uh the ex uh mtn rider um and um he's now uh not working in rwanda working in benin i think um but um and and he's been a real pioneer he rode the 2009 tour of ireland which i think was a pro tour race so he would have been the first black sub-saharan african um and 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 indeed indigenous person to have uh, ridden a pro tour uh race um but so there's all that there are those indigenous identities but there are so many parts of the world um you know i i've worked in malaysia um in um Taiwan um and then there's also I've worked with riders from Indonesia from the Philippines from Korea South Korea and in Southeast Asia you know there's a whole world of cycling that is not covered anywhere in the western european sort of cycling press and why would it be um but you know you look again you look at the tour de france uh, and you look at this generally very very white peloton and and uh, you know and, and and i think um look you know give me 10 million quid and i'll you know if if you're if you're creating a, a team now um if you're not quick step ineos uh jumbo visma 
or UAE, right? And and and, and Bora sort of halfway and Bora, you're not going to be winning races, okay? They win all the races, essentially, okay? And so if you're not one of those teams, what are you in it for? What's the point? And the point has to be, um, I think, identity. What is your identity as a team? Um, okay, so if you're FDJ, um, you're kind of a sort of French national team, uh, something like that. Um, although they've become, you know, they've turned into a kind of um, not really very good um, international armada. Ajay Duzer, the same, you know. Um, and I, I think to myself, give me 10 or 12 million pounds and uh, I'll make you a team that will really make a splash. And um, it's not going to be about trying to win the Tour de France. That's what everyone, ah, oh, we want to win the Tour de France within five years or something. Well, okay, Sky did that because they had extraordinary resources and they had the good fortune to to discover that Bradley Wiggins and then Chris Froome, who they never suspected, uh, were good enough to win the Tour de France. But what about all those nations and parts of the world and cultures that are massive cycling nations, but um, simply don't exist? in in you know in the upper echelons of 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 the sport i think i've got a couple of colombian friends who are the main commentators in guatemala and they're always saying that come 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 you've got to see this come to guatemala at over two thousand meters altitude there are thousands of indigenous kids riding and racing and they're really good and there's something here to see so that's kind of one of the next um things i hope to Hope to go and take a look at. Yeah, and you. So, I mean, it sounds like obviously you connect very, very, very much with um, the a story, the identity of a nation or or a you know a figure in cycling, and 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 that um, is what sort of you know, you know, piques your interest. Mm. Yeah, mm. and it what is it about you know i suppose colombian cycling mm. as a whole mm. which is has kept you coming back for you know year after year i suppose mm. that mm. that you know, obviously has led to you writing the two books is it what is it about that particular scene which has really you know, you know sparked your passion mm-hmm. well i suppose um i suppose one thing is that you know it is the Colombia is the only developing nation that has sort of consistently sent um, riders to to the Grand Tours and um, and had success. And now with Richard Carapaz, really, but he's the only Ecuadorian. You know that that's there's 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 Richard too. Um, so there's that. Um, it, it's it, it's funny. I don't. Um, I. I don't know. I wonder about this sometimes. And and something Lance said about me one time, which was that I'm a member of the cancer community, he said, um, because I had Hodgkin's disease when I was a teenager. And I I, I thought about that and, and, I, and I thought, I don't really feel like I'm a member of the cancer community. And I don't um i i i sort of i i i've worked for charities that 
um, provide clean drinking water and that sort of thing. And, and, and also bringing cyclists to Europe from Colombia to give them their chance, that sort of thing. But um, I, I, I just kind of feel, and I suppose it's just me, that um, if I was, if I thought of myself, because I had Hodgkin's disease, I was a member of the cancer community. And because I have a British passport, um, I, I, I should care first and foremost about British cyclists. I, I would feel that that was rather narcissistic. You know, uh, those are the, the, the contingencies of life, you know? And so I kind of, yeah, I, 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 years ago, um, in the basement at Channel 4 in, in about 1997, um, I was sent um, uh, the tapes or the, the images of um, foreign language interviews from France, uh, from the Tour de France, and I'd translate them and, uh, and, and say if they were good or bad and say which bit we could use and subtitle them and then pass them on to the editors. And... Um, um, uh, one of these interviews with, was with a Colombian rider called Chepe González, who won a stage in Valence in 1997. And listening to him speak, it was like listening to someone, uh, a voice from a very, very long way away, from somewhere very remote and very different and um, and, and, and probably the voice of someone who sees the world in very different terms from you sort of thing. And, and, and I thought, well, that, that was a, a really strange and interesting and kind of curious feeling to have sensation to have um, sensation to get from sport because you don't tend to get it very much. It all tends to very quickly become very uniform and and people start sounding all the same and saying and using the same, you know, it is what it is. It's a game of two halves or the cycling equivalent and so on. And so I, I that kind of thrilled me and it kind of fed me with a kind of magic. And I think that I I I think that my motivation for for doing what I do is really to sample as much magic from this kind of brief spark in the darkness that 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 is you know, that is life, you know, and, and, and so I think that was really what, what drew me in and, and has kept drawing me in because it's, it's very different. And I think it's a little bit like you can become jaded. I mean, certainly 2007, 2008, 2009, all the sort of doping scandals and Binokurov and Rasmussen and, and, uh, and Landis and so on. And you just thought, what am I wasting my life in this corrupt cesspit of a sport for and then i go back to columbia and see kids riding around town squares and you know the primary schools with the doors open and and all the kids at the side of the road screaming and just really excited by this tiny little bike race that was going on and feel oh yeah that was that was what it was all about that was the source of everything so for me columbia is like going back to the source so i think that that's what kind of feeds me it's my my supply line to the past to the magic yeah so the it's certainly something that i identify with you know, as well and i think you know it's the same 
possibly the same sort of thing that I feel with cycling is that that connection between you know that level of mm. you know cycling very much that grassroots level and the professional level doesn't mm. seem as far away as many other sports seem yeah. you know re- regardless of the abilities you know obviously these guys we see climbing in the Tour de France are you know on another level compared to any normal cyclist but that connection between me on my bike and how I feel going uphill is the same as how mm. they feel going uphill. <laughs> and, you know, it's something which I don't think you get in many other sports. No, I think that's right. You can't you can't go and play on the turf at Wembley, but you can go and ride up Alpe d'Huez. Even if Alpe d'Huez is pretty ugly. The Telegraph is horrible, but the Calibier is magnificent. And Colombia, too, is full of wonderful, you know, riding up Las Margaritas, which is where you know, where, where uh, Egan Bernal trains and you or, or riding up to the the 16.5 kilometre climb um, where uh, where Nairo used to ride from school uh, to home. Um, yeah, you could you you feel as though you're kind of breathing the same air and and and, and riding in their riding in their in their wheel marks and 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 that's also what i'm doing now as well which is working in cycle tourism and taking people to colombia and um you know i think again um there is a kind of hunger for that type of magic as well for after after a couple of years of covid and all the lockdowns and so on this kind of hunger to especially among people i think who've you know who who, who know the alps and majorca and the pyrenees and and tuscany and um and maybe are looking for uh, more of an adventure, but maybe an adventure where they have the guarantee of someone who they know who's who's with them and 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 is responsible for them and knows the country. Um, and so, after ten years living in Colombia and and five books about Colombia, the next thing is to is the cycle tour of the book uh, of the of the national sporting history. So that's the that's the next thing for me. So. Um, you know, so if anyone out there is listening and, and thinks, yeah, I've wanted to go to Colombia for a while and haven't really known how to do it, get in touch um, and and um, and we can make it happen. Yeah. So, uh, well, that, that, I mean, that leads on quite, quite nicely to sort of where people can obviously connect with, with you, Matt. You know, obviously, you know, where would be the best place, obviously, if they're going to look at your, your books, what, what would be the best place to get that, you know, which supports you the most? Oh, God, blimey. No, you're right. I should have a sort of online bookstore, shouldn't I? But um, no, I mean, all, all normal book, all normal booksellers, um, your 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 favorite bookstore. Um, and um, yeah, and there's a there's I, I, I've been working for a company. I work with a company called um, Italy Bike Tours and they're at italybiketours.com. And um, if you go to italybiketours.com, you won't find anything about Colombia, but persist. Send them an email and uh, to Clive, Clive at Italy. But I think it's Clive at italybiketours.com and say, um, yeah, listen, tell me about Colombia. I want to go over with Matt and and we'll make it happen. Um, and well, what where what else can we expect to see you doing that next, Matt? Is there any, is there anything else? Um, well, in the pipeline? Um, th- yeah, there is. I'm I'm absolutely up to my neck at the moment in another book, and I can't speak too much about it. But I've got to have it finished by the end of the month. And um, it's uh, yeah, no, I'm 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 just glad you haven't asked 
about um, the, the week's events in cycling because I'm in the bunker. And, um, you know, it, 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 it is, you know, when, when, when you look at the, um, at the cycling calendar and the sheer amount of racing that's out there, I, I, it, it makes me think that the calendar is absolutely crazy and chaotic. Um, and it also makes me think there's way too much of this because I've got books to write and, and journeys to go on and, and jobs to do. And um, I just can't be on top of everything. It just can't be done. There aren't, you know, there aren't a hundred hours in a day that'll allow you to watch, you know, all five races that are happening. Plus, you know, do, do five or six hours writing plus get out for a bike ride or a run or whatever it is. Actually, I've just done 10 miles today running, um, which is the longest run I've done since the tour. Um, I just, I just stopped. Sadly, the, the tour, as well as your brain, it destroys your, destroys your body as well. I, I don't have time to get out and, and exercise. Um, and the logistics this year didn't, didn't allow for it. So I'm slowly, slowly, painfully, uh, very painfully crawling back to some kind of fitness. So, um, so that's one of the main things. Um, finish a book and, um, and get back into some kind of physical shape. I suppose that I, that I was gonna I was gonna ask you about the topical news story of today, um, you know, related to Colombian cycling. I mean, mm. I'm not sure if you saw. Obviously, Egan is um, coming back um, and is going to ride the Tour of Denmark. Oh, uh, is that, he? That news was released today. Mm. Um, from there, and I was, yeah, I, I was going to ask. Obviously, you know, with your your connections, obviously, very early, obviously, still in his recovery, but. You know, I mean, what should we expect from from Egan Bernal when he when he comes back? You know, what, well, I think if he's doing the tour of Denmark, I mean, as we all saw uh, during the um, uh, during the uh, the Grand Depart of the Tour de France, Denmark is not a mountainous country. So uh, what he'll be going for is pedal speed. You know, to be in the peloton and um, uh, and and um, seated in the saddle, coming back from altitude, getting uh, race speed and pedal speed, and um, he won't be there to win it. Um, I know he's desperate to get back to racing. Um, I've got no special inside information. I've been leaving him in peace to to come back. Um, Javier Arteche, his coach said to me, Egan will be back and he will be winning another Tour de France. So that's their conviction. And um, I hope, I hope and pray. I think the, you know, you've got kids, Tom, and um, the, the, the worst thing is to see someone um, deprived of the opportunity to fulfill their potential, you know. Now, whether or not in the end we fill our potential is another question but um and as i say this is one of the things that i've that i'm quite committed to is to allowing you know kids to to come over to europe from colombia and and to find out to 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 live their dream you know and find out and make, and most of the time the answer is going to be um i don't have what it takes you know the riders that have what it takes you can count them on the fingers of one hand but um, let's 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 hope that Egan can uh, be back where he belongs and 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 be up there battling with 
with Jonas and um, and Pog. Yeah, certainly. And, um, yeah. I mean, certainly just you know, the fact that he's back racing at a top level after the the extent of what his injuries were is a is a miraculous you know um you know show of his character in itself mm. you know mm. yeah, I think you know anything else you know where he gets to it's all it's all a bonus really I would yeah. say yeah yeah one of the strongest heads one of the strongest heads and don't forget he's had you know serious injuries the 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 bleed on the brain after the tour of Catalonia and um He's had serious injuries in the past and he's got through them and um and and won, so let's hope he can do it again. All right. Well, um thank you very much, Matt, for coming to chat to me this fantastic. Today. Fantastic. Uh, and obviously, you know, um as as we said, you know, Matt's books are available on any good bookstore and uh, obviously italybiketours.com. Um ask, right. ask Clive about Columbia and they can put you in touch and you should be able to hopefully cycle with Matt and Columbia. Fantastic. Great. Thanks very right. much, Tom. Brilliant. That was Thanks. great fun. Enjoyed yes. that. Thanks very Thank much. Thank you. Bye. Okay. See you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to QuickLink Podcast, your daily microdose of pro cycling news and results. You can find us across social media at QuickLinkPod, or you can contact us by emailing show at quicklinksports.com. Share the show, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Bye now.